Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, hello there. Um, Thank goodness it is November 8th because um, we're finally going to get a string of programs together here. October was much too choppy for my taste and um, mostly it was because of my travel schedule and, um, well, a holiday. I think Columbus Day was one of the issues. But, uh, boy, we're going to string together quite a few programs here in a very exciting program that we have today. Today is our first educators' panel. Um, I started doing something similar to this uh, for parents uh, on the first program of each month, and I realize that uh, this is not the first Monday of the month, but this is the first uh, educator collaborative problem solving at school program for this month since I was um, not around last week to do it. Um, and we have a few uh, folks who are going to be joining us today as part of the educators panel. One is one with us already, Kate, who's going to be with us from uh, upstate New York, and we're expecting another uh, educator from um, New Brunswick who's going to be joining us as well. And then the others uh, aren't uh, able to make it today, but will be able to make it at the beginning of next month. So an exciting program today where uh, I get to do less talking and we get to hear a little bit from um, folks who are actually working in schools and who are, um, who've been doing collaborative problem solving, some of them for quite some time, some of them are just getting started with it. Um, we get to hear about what their experiences have been with the model and especially with uh, what the hard parts have been. Um, so, let me uh, do my usual intro here. Um, if uh, if you have a question or comment, as always, the call-in number, uh, 646-727-2691. If you are not the calling-in type, you can send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website, which is www.livesinthebalance.org. These are, as always, even though it's the Educators Panel Day, your 45 minutes, so if you're working with a student who's not responding very well to Plan B or running into trouble using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems or, and here's the biggie, having difficulty getting your colleagues at school to buy in, um, feel free. 
call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. Um, so I'm going to bring our uh, educator from upstate New York on the air here. I'm not going to use any last names or give the specific school system because we like to keep these things um, slightly anonymous, even with our educators panel. And we're still waiting uh, for our educator from New Brunswick to call in. But, Kate, uh, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for having me. You bet. Kate is um, Kate is uh, really, from what I can gather and the little bit that I've worked with her, uh, quite uh, skilled at collaborative problem solving. But, um, you know, what I thought we would do today, um, maybe you could give us a little bit of a sense. Don't tell us your school or your school system or um, uh, last names, but give us a little bit of a sense of your role in a uh, in the school building. Sure. Um, well, currently I am a school counselor in a pre-K to 5 school. Um I'm the only counselor here, and we have about over 700 students now, so I'm very busy. But previously to being a counselor, I was also a special education teacher for nine years. So I think I appreciate the model from both sides, teacher and counselor. Got it. And I think that we have now been joined, if I've got the area code right, by Basel. Is that you? That's me. I've just joined. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Thank Basel you. Basel is calling us from uh, New Brunswick, yes? Are you still there? Oops, we lost him for I, a second. Hope I'm he's there. still here, yeah. yeah. Good. No, it's, a, it's a shaky connection, I think. Well, we'll do the best we can. That's all we can do. Um, you are being joined by Kate, who is... Uh, an educator up in upstate New York, and you are it for the day. We're going to have other uh, educators joining our panel um, next month when we do this again, and we'll do this every month, the first Monday of every month during the school year. Um, I'm not uh, giving the name of uh, your school system in New Brunswick or your last name, but Basil, can you give us a sense about what you do in your buildings? Um, yes, I, I'm a learning specialist right now. I have um, my responsibilities include professional development and um, the early years program and cooperative education and um, uh, school transfers, that kind of stuff. But my background is actually I started out working with street and gang kids on the other side of Canada, and I've developed a lot of alternative programs for them. So, uh, And I've worked in the private school system working with parents who have a lot of money to send their kids, and um, and sort of everything in between. Indeed. And uh, one thing I can tell our listeners um, about our two panel members, as well as the two who are going to be joining us, we're going to be joined next month by a school principal and a classroom teacher, um, is uh, we got some human beings on our educators panel. Um, not that uh, the folks, the, the, the millions of educators out there who are not on our educators panel are not human beings, but um, knowing both of these folks personally, um, these folks are about as humane and compassionate as they come. Um, so here, here's what I thought we would do today. Um, we've, we've got some email to respond to, but both of you uh, have experience in your systems um, Kate, your system has been added a little bit longer, and Basel, yours is sort of just getting going with collaborative problem solving. Um, one of the things that everybody always wants to know, and what I get the most emails about, 
are um, what's how, how do you get people on board with this, and how do you um, get a little bit of momentum going, especially with the folks who are hard to convince? Um, and I guess my question for both of you is, what has your experience has been with that, especially with colleagues who may not have been so enthusiastic about collaborative problem solving on first hearing about it, and and what you've seen be effective at helping them come around to um, at least giving the model a fair shake. Kate, do you want to start off here? Oh, sure. Um, you know, coming from a teaching background, I think one of the things every time there's a new program or something new that um, administrators are giving teachers to try or to do, there's an, an automatic feeling from teachers of, I have so much to do already. How am I going to fit something else into my schedule? We have, um, you know, testing and... Um, all, you know, kids are being pulled out for tutoring or speech or all these other services and they feel like their instructional time is so limited during the day that I think that is the first um, barrier is that automatic response of, I don't have time for something else. Well, However, that's certainly what I've run into. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Go ahead. Sorry. But I, but I think um, once they are, you know, once they are introduced to the model and they realize that for me what it really is is learning how to have a conversation with the child. I think um, teachers are by nature problem solvers, and I think they have conversations with kids all day long, but a lot of it is plan A type conversations where they're doing all the talking. I think they spend equally as much time um, figuring out plans and behavior systems and, um, you know, spending time telling them what they should be doing, where my experience is actually once you become skilled at the model, it actually takes less time because you're, you're solving the problem with the child. And I think those teachers here in my system that had the opportunity to learn from you and, and practice the model found that out but I think going in they immediately thought oh another thing I don't have time for when am I going to schedule it in and I guess my big question and, and Basil I'd love you to respond as well but a question for both of you is um, you know one of the things that I have been told by many educators is that if we look hard enough the time actually is there um, that having been said, I do think that many uh, people in classrooms throughout North America are what we might call initiatived out. They have so many things being thrown at them, uh, so many new mm -hmm. things, so many flavors of the month, so many flashes in the pan, that um, I think it's easy to become a bit jaded about yet another new thing that's coming down the pike. So, Kate, I, I you know hear the time issue all the time, but I also hear that um, people are just getting so many initiatives thrown at them because there's you know there's so much new in education um and you know i guess my question is are we stretching people so thin that people are feeling like they're not really being permitted to be good at much of anything and what do we do about that basil maybe you want to take that one well it's it's a challenge i think because there's so much pressure on teachers to get through the stuff like there's so much stuff to get through in a school year and you look at the curricula and and they're they're trying to sort of create kids who are going to be able to 
function within the 21st century using a 19th century template. And so, you know, when you think about the school system itself being based on the public school system in Europe, which was based on the prison system, so much of the way we structure the school, even in, in, in today, is really based on very old paradigms about learning and compliance. And I think what happens is with, with kids today is that you don't have that same kind of threat that we used to have, say, when I was a kid. And so um, part, of, part of teaching now is, is a very different child, one who's got access to way more information and, and one who um, is much more c concerned in, about the world and how the world works. And, and so trying to and, – and they're, they're way quicker at saying, I don't want to do this. I'm not interested in this. You know, you can't fake me. And, and, um, and we find that the extreme, those kids that are really hard to serve, uh, that's, that's what they do in spades. So to try and still use that old model, I mean, it's exhausting. It's, it's just exhausting for teachers, but they still feel that they have to hang on to it and get through because they still got to get through the stuff, you know. Um, and the more that the teacher builds a relationship with students, um, the more they start to take ownership for their own learning. You're right. In the end, it's way less work for the teacher. But that, that changing of the paradigm is really difficult because we all grew up with it. You know, it's part of our psyche. And, um, and making those kind of changes is hard for everybody, even people who, who really want to, to change and do things differently. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about the um, – you said kids these days, uh, if I'm going to read between the lines of what you said, kids these days are not necessarily willing to take – um, an adult telling them what to do, laying down. Um, yeah, well, so, yeah. And, and that I think creates some interesting challenges because, on the one hand, uh, from my perspective, that means we need to, um, first of all, that's not such a terrible development, although there are people who would disagree with that assessment. Um, they would like kids who are just happy to take what we're telling them to do, laying down. Yeah. Um, and yet there are kids out there who, who don't do that. And uh, in general, kids are less willing to just do it because an adult says so. And, of course, then, there, then there's the other side of the equation where people are saying, well, that's because we've relaxed so much that we've taught them that they don't have to. So what we really need to do is tighten things back up. Where, where do you two fall on that? Yeah. Go ahead, Kate. Well, as you're saying that, I'm laughing to myself because uh, neither my three-year-old or six-year-old do what I tell them to do laying down <laughs> or take what I'm telling them to do laying down. And I have a dear friend who um, is also an educator who um, is familiar with the model, and we always laugh about that when we're with our kids and we try to do that, the plan A, and we say, why can't they just do that? And we always we laugh about that. But um, I agree with you on... Um, that that's that's a good thing because that's that's a life skill. That's the adult that we want them to be is the one that can say what they're feeling and exert their independence. But um, it's true in the school setting, it's a little bit more difficult. It's a challenge to you know it's so much easier if they would just open your book to plan six, uh, to page six and and go all the way through the end. But um, I like what you said about it. Really, it's challenging teachers to you know think of new ways of teaching and 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 the best ways are to facilitate and collaborate with the kids because when the kids are taking ownership of everything of their learning of everything you know they're producing much more and it's much more meaningful 
Yeah, and, uh, and really, well, I was just going to say, and, and the end result is that that when kids are really happy about what they're doing, there aren't a lot of behavioral issues anyway. So how do you structure the learning environment so kids feel good about what they're doing? And, and I think what we're seeing in, in a more inclusive school system is that those kids, like, I just remember back when I was a kid, the kids that were physically and mentally handicapped, you know, that's what we called them back then, um, were always shunted off into other, either other schools or other rooms or, you know, they weren't really part of the mainstream. And in the last 20, 25 years, we've been really good about bringing them on and bringing them on board. Um, and now it's really not a big deal to see a kid in a wheelchair in a classroom or uh, somebody with cognitive delays still participating. But we haven't made that switch yet around the kids that the, the, the plan B is often designed for, those kids with the behavioral anomalies that they still haven't figured out how to do it yet. And and so they act out in a more bizarre setting and in in days gone by we were able to to sort of slam the book on them and and they'd either comply or leave and now they we got to find a different way for them to learn so that they're part of this group and once they get it and that's the beauty part once they get it they're there you know they're they're part of that that group which is what they want to be the whole time you know it's interesting i think that kids in general are a little bit more irreverent these days um, you know, I can actually still remember when I was a kid, and I remember that I was a bit of an irreverent kid, but the thought of, but I was also very well behaved, and so the thought of getting out of line, irreverent though I may have been, um, never even occurred to me, although um, maybe I did some things um, that were irreverent, but uh, on the QT, whereas um, I find that the ones who are challenging irreverence is not actually the issue in the first place. I mean, I'm just thinking about my own two who are um, you know, obviously being raised to be a bit irreverent because I think it's okay to question authority figures, especially when authority figures are behaving unreasonably. I've always thought it was a fascinating thing that when we teach blind respect to our kids, then we are teaching them to respect authority figures even when authority figures are being unreasonable and unfair. Yeah. And yeah. um, I, I don't think that's the way to go. But I also think that, I, I mean, I do think that not-so-challenging kids are a bit more irreverent now. I, I can't quite tell because, you know, I, I hung out with a pretty irreverent but fairly well-behaved crowd when I was a kid. But I think that those are not the kids who I worry about the most. I think that we can handle the perhaps slight increased irreverence of the well-behaved kids. I don't worry about them too much. What I find is that... Um, it's it's the Basel as you were saying, it's the ones with who are have challenges who um have gone who are well beyond irreverent because irreverent is really not what's getting in their way in the first place. Those are the kids who are lacking the skills um just to hang in there at all. Um yeah. those are the ones who I worry about. Yeah, me too. And they're the ones who take up so much of the teacher's time. You know, so when you know, we talk about especially what Kate mentioned earlier, when teachers are overwhelmed with all the stuff they've got to do anyway, and then you get a non-compliant child in there who who's just making it difficult for the teacher. It just compounds the problem. And then what happens is that everybody starts to react more emotionally. You know, the, the teacher's trying not to, but, you know, the teacher's part of that and the kids that are around there. And, and it's amazing what it's like. To, it's almost like um, in the olden days being in a bar when a fight is about to break out, you know, there's that adrenaline rush that everybody has. And, 
and and you know things are really intense and then the actual intent of the day which was to sort of learn math or learn social studies or whatever gets totally hijacked you know and at the end everybody's going what happened what happened you know did you see what happened I mean, classrooms are often like that, and I, I feel for everybody who's involved, not only the teacher or the kids that are bystanding, but that kid who set the whole thing off because that's their best plan. That's the best That's the best they've got to work with, you know? Kate, any thoughts on that? Uh, well, I'm having um, flashbacks to um, how I wish I knew more about this when I was a teacher, especially when oh, I was God. a young teacher. Yeah. teaching, um, you know, high school students who, for whatever reason, were, you know, threatening or yelling at me and 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 kind of what I, I felt like I was taught was what I got when I was a student, which was they should be doing what I'm telling them to do because I did what my teachers told me to do. Why aren't they doing what I'm telling them to do? Um, yeah. And that's when I was teaching, you know, um, students with behavioral disabilities and all sorts of things. And really, you're right, it it shut down the learning for the day. People were so, uh, you know, the kids were emotional. I was emotional. Um, and it wasn't until I really learned simply to connect with the kids to to when I realized they really didn't want to leave, they didn't want to go to the office, they didn't want to be suspended. They they wanted to be in that room. They just wanted someone to understand them. But I had I had to learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, that took a lot of years, but um, but yeah, everything you just said. I fe- I feel for the people that are doing it now, um, who are in the classrooms doing it every day. It's it's difficult. Yeah, it's really challenging. Well, and Basel, going back to something you said earlier, the structure of the day is often at odds with what's required for getting on top of that. Um, And the key word is proactive. Yeah. Because, at least in my opinion, we'll have to hear how you all feel, but... um, The last thing you'd want to have happen if you're a classroom teacher is to have an unexpected interruption. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I've found is that unexpected interruptions aren't. What they really are are expected interruptions because the kids who are doing the most interrupting, and now we're not talking about the slightly more than in the past irreverent average Joe, we're talking about the ones with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges, these are kids who are not recently declaring themselves as having social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. They've had these challenges for a very long time. And what that permits is proactive intervention, getting on top of it proactively, getting our plan together for how we're going to help the kid. And then the surprising interruption isn't a surprising interruption anymore because, number one, we dealt with the interruption way before it came up in the first place because we were busy doing plan B and figuring out what was going on with the kid, and the interruption never happened. But, Basel, going back to what you were saying earlier, the structure of schools often um, makes it extremely difficult for us to be proactive enough to actually keep surprises from happening. Yeah, that's true. And that's part of it. I think there's a structure of the school, and then – Kate brought up the other half of it, which is 
that often people who go into teaching were themselves good students, loved learning, you know, that, that, that what that was sort of was a familiar piece for them. And so when they encounter students that are really quite an anomaly to that, that sort of cruising through school part, it's even that much more difficult because that shock of, well, why aren't they getting it? Why don't they, why won't they sit and learn? Why won't they be quiet? Why won't they treat me respectfully? Those are, it's harder for a lot of teachers actually because they just, they can't understand why. And they don't get past the part of it of of sort of understanding why. Well, and I, you know, it's, it's a rumor, but I think it's probably true that the vast majority of people who go into teaching were themselves well behaved. Yeah. And so if I was if I was to paraphrase what you now just said, it's the mm-hmm. teacher is asking themselves, why can't this kid be be like me? Yeah. Yeah. How come this kid can't be like I was? And, and the truth is, there's sort of an epidemic of um, well, some people call it empathy fatigue, but I, I'm not really talking about empathy fatigue here or compassion fatigue. But I'm, I mean that if you haven't been a behaviorally challenging kid yourself and you haven't experienced what behaviorally challenging kids go through, um, it's very hard to empathize with a kid who's like that and is disrupting your class, especially if you weren't that way in the first place. Of course, the other end of it is, and and we're trying to be equally empathic to classroom teachers here, is that if you haven't been a classroom teacher trying to work under the difficulties and the stresses that classroom teachers work under, um, very hard for people from the outside looking in to be empathic to a classroom teacher who's trying to get a curriculum taught, and I don't remember what you call it, Basil, I think you called it stuff. Um, yes, stuff. That's the right word. Get, trying to get stuff done while simultaneously trying to understand a kid who's behaviorally challenging when that's really not your training, and especially when he's disrupting you getting all that stuff done. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a jungle out there sometimes, and you know, and the funny part is, and I won't. I, I know we're going on a different side, but the other interesting part is, what is the perception from the public about school is is equally um, as dated in the sense that most people who aren't in the school system remember school as they were children, you know, as yes. they were to adolescents, and and for many parents, that's twenty years ago or more, and so they. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in schools and challenges that teachers have with kids that, frankly, the the, the normal pu- public doesn't ever see, except, you know, when they see a bunch of kids in a shopping mall or walking down the street late at night or something like that. But, but you know, when you have several hundred of them in a class, in a school, you know, it's it's a miracle, really, that most kids get through most of the day with a minimal damage because that's a lot of kids, you know, to have in one spot. So it doesn't take that many kids who've got behavioral anomalies in, in a normal classroom. Even 10% of, of of a school of 750 kids that's that's a lot of kids, you know, that are that are causing grief for people in a concentrated place. Indeed, and I mean they're concentrated two or three to a classroom, sometimes yeah. more. Yeah. Um, what have Kate? Your school system has been at this for a little while. Um, not that it's system wide yet, but um, what have what do you think aside from the fact that collaborative problem solving is going to save time? Um, I, I, I'm with Basel here. I'm often thinking how miraculous it is 
that we don't have worse things happen in our schools than we do, given, especially in some schools, the concentration of behaviorally challenging kids that we have in some buildings. Um, you, you have schools that um, service some uh, areas in which you're, you're good chance that you have two or three challenging kids in one classroom. Um, what have you seen work? What have I seen work in those classrooms? Yeah. Um, well, it really comes to, down for me to the teacher, to the, um, you know, I was thinking that I have I have a neighbor who's a new teacher, and she, she just uh, came over the other day and said, they just gave me, uh, the, a teacher quit, and I'm now the teacher of a self-contained classroom, which means she has... Um, probably about 15 students with behavioral needs and her. And she was asking me what works at your school, what works what you know, what worked for you. And um and I said to her, I remember what that was like and the demands from when I was a teacher to now on just test scores and um academic demands are so much greater now. And I said, um when I think back to the years that were, quote, good years for me, you know, when I got to the end of the year and thought, well, that was a really good school year, um, those were the years when I, before anything else, really, really, really um, made a connection with those kids and got to know the kids. And yeah. um, like you're saying, so that I could be proactive. I mean, that is such a key because the years, my first couple years, um, it was a lot of reactive. You know, it was a lot of, uh, like you said, flavor of the month. It was a lot of, well, maybe I'll put them on a point system or I'll, I'll put this kid on this system and that kid on another system. And, and then when that stopped working, I tried something else. And it just, it was exhausting. Every single day was exhausting for me and for the kids because they didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, so I think what really works is when you get to know the kids, and and I don't just mean what you know, your belief of the kids, you you take the time to listen to the kids and get to know the kids and make them a part of everything that you're doing. You're far more proactive, and when those things come up, when the kid is, you know, the child who can't keep it together after they went to gym and lost at a game, that's something that, you know, I see a lot. I have a lot of kids that that just... For some reason, that's going to ruin the rest of their day when you can expect that that's what's going to happen next and you've already planned it out. Um, the day's just much more successful for the kid, for all the kids, the bystanders, and for the teacher. Um, but it all comes to, I, I really, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I said it all, it really all comes down to knowing before you're going in the beginning of that year, um, just to be that, to have that proactive, um, mindset going in. I'm going to know these kids. I'm going to know their triggers. I'm going to know what they need so that when we hit a problem, we're going to solve it together. And then, um, and then when you get something that's new, you've already established that routine with the kid. They know how you're going to problem solve it with them. And I know I see I see teachers here who um, it just works for. The kids are happier. It just works. 
What I was going to yeah. say is that the kids who are easiest to have that kind of relationship with are the ones who are well behaved in the first place. They, you know, they're they're meeting your expectations. They're not doing things that you know irritate you or disrupt your process. Uh, it's the ones who are challenging who, um, boy, do they require that extra something. Because they're the ones who, you're, as you're saying, it's easy to just throw a point system at them or stickers. Um, and th- those are not very personal interventions. Those are um, interventions that flow from a belief that uh, the kid just isn't motivated to do well and that there is some technique, stickers, points, levels, something, that will turn them around. But I guess my experience is that of all the kids who need a relationship badly, it's the hardest ones to form the relationship with um, who need it the worst, and those are the challenging yeah. ones. Yeah. And they so want to do well. Like, that's the other part of it is that they really want to to be like all these other kids. They really want to be have school easy for them too. and But they haven't figured that part of it out yet. And so this reaction is, is just going – you know, that's not working for me. It's not working for me. And however they say that or however they behave, once you, as Kate said, once you figure out what, you find that relationship and you find the triggers before they happen, um, that kid just has such a better day and everybody else had such a better day. And then eventually those bad days become less and less and less. And um, then they just sort of fit into the norm like everybody else. And that's the exciting part. Well, I mean, that is the exciting part. The shame is that here's this kid, and I find that the challenging ones have wonderful qualities too. So in that respect, they are like the not-so-challenging kids in the building. Uh, You know, the behaviorally challenging ones have redeeming qualities, just like all the other kids. Uh, And and some of them are actually not so difficult to like. But they've got this horrible Achilles heel and no kid would wish this upon themselves. No kid would have this Achilles heel, challenging behavior, low frustration tolerance, inflexibility, um, poor problem-solving skills. No kid does that on purpose. Um, they're the ones that require that we go the extra mile because redeeming qualities or not, that Achilles heel of theirs um, really shoots them in the foot. And now I'm actually not mixing metaphors. I'm actually sticking with body parts here and, and the lower extremities to boot. Uh, there was another one. Um, but um, these are kids who have this just learning disability, this developmental delay that makes it so hard for them that it and it blows all of their other redeeming qualities out of the water because of this Achilles heel that keeps popping up in the class that people have a very hard time understanding. Yeah. And it pops it's a up real another... shame. What, what, Kate, go ahead. I was going to say it pops up in other places, too. It pops up on the bus. It pops up yep. in the cafeteria. Yeah. And what's and fascinating is... Go ahead, Basil. I was going to say, and, and not just in school, too. Right? I mean, the, the thing about school is it's, it's just um, it's just sort of a window on whatever their their world is about, whether, you know, it, it happens in their home, it happens with their friends, it happens with, at family functions, that, you know, this behavior doesn't just manifest itself at school. Sometimes it does because of the structure, but usually this, this, is, this is this kid everywhere. 
So what we're doing is convincing me, but I'm already convinced, all three of us already are, that um, schools need to do things a little bit differently. We don't have that much longer left in the program, about nine minutes left. Um, Kate, maybe you can talk a little bit about what has gone on in your school system, um, what you're doing to try to uh, spread things, and, and then, Basel, we can talk about your school systems because you you, you're just getting going. Um, care to share what has gone on in your school system in an effort to try to move things in the right direction for these kids? Um, go, Kate. Me? Yeah, go okay, ahead. Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I actually wish that um, more of the staff in my school system had the opportunity to learn because when, when we first started with learning about the model, um, you know, a lot of us were, were able to go to the first session where you spoke, and um, but then when you came and really did the more intensive work with us, we had more select groups, and I know that I was part of choosing um, which educators, which teachers and staff could be a part of that. And when I when I was doing that, I was really looking first at the kids, which kids I thought really would be benefiting from having you know, working at the model, and that's how I then chose the teachers that would would part, participate. But I happen to know that for those kids, um, it made a big difference. Most of the students at the time when you were here that I was working with had been referred to counseling because of whatever issues they were having in class behaviorally. And the conversations that the teachers then learned through using the model to have themselves, that's what I was doing in counseling. But so what if a kid, you know, can on a Wednesday afternoon do something great in the counselor's office for 30 minutes where it really matters is where they're spending all of their day, which is in the classroom or with their peers or in the school building. So um, what's exciting for me is that the teachers then learn to have that same type of conversation that same type of problem solving right there on the spot where it matters most for the kids instead of it just being once a week, like I said, once a week, you know, every Wednesday for 30 minutes. Um, that's something that I wish I could teach or I hope that we will continue to work on to teach to every teacher. Um, it just makes so much more sense. And then when the, when they're in the middle of uh an episode or something comes up, they've already established that. It's not, oh, we better call the counselor and get her down here so she can talk the kid down. They already have it going. They've worked on it proactively, so they were prepared for it in the moment, and then the learning just goes on. Um, that's that's the exciting part that I see here in my building. Um, and I'm encouraged to keep working at it and keep, you know, getting more and more people on board. And what what keeps people doing it? Because... Um, from the sounds of it, f for your building at least, collaborative problem solving has not been a flash in the pan. Why not? Um, because it works. Because I really think that, that some of the teachers who in the beginning were like, oh, great, here we go, another thing, um, have seen those other things come and go. And it, it's not just... Um, you know, it's not just a program. It's not just a a book. It's it's a way of doing things every single day in a meaningful way, 
that builds relationships with kids and it just simply works. You're teaching you're teaching positive problem solving. It's a life skill that kids get out of it and that teachers get out of it. And I know for myself, um, I take it home with me. I mean, it's something I do in my own life with my own children who, like you said, um, you know, may not be the ones who have the most challenging behaviors, but it surely makes um, sense to me when I'm thinking, you know, something as simple as, bedtime routine why you know how many times are we going to have this argument at bedtime and then i think wait a minute what would i what would i do at work if i had a student in my office about this why are why am i not thinking about my own child in in respect to you know what's going on why can't we solve this collaboratively it it ends up encompassing everything you do and in the way that you just speak to not just students to your peers it just works well, having something work certainly can help with its longevity. Um, Basil, you all are getting started on this. Um, yeah. What all? Are, what What are you all doing? Well, after you came in August and sort of kickstarted it, for many of the schools, um, they were doing the a book study with um, Lost at School, which was really, it's a great book that way because it it really identifies the the lagging skills, and I think for many teachers. They, they saw those lagging skills in, before they actually started to look at this process. They really saw those lagging skills as sort of endemic barriers to learning that will never change, like that they'll never be able to get past that. And then to actually have a model that just identifies them as a no big deal, here they are, here's some issues, it's kind of like being colorblind, how do you get through the world that way, you know, and how do you start to work some of this stuff out? people became a lot more hopeful. And what I noticed in some schools, because some schools are more, you know, they're trying a little bit more than others, but in the schools that are are trying this out, what they're doing, as Kate said before, where, you know, a teacher has a problem with a student, they kick the kid out or call for help um, so that that other person comes in and fixes, and then the teacher can keep getting through the stuff. Um, is the, the the person who's coming to the door, the guidance counselor or uh, administrator or something, actually goes in and covers the class so that the teacher can take the student and work through this issue, you know, which is a, which is what has to happen. And then when the teacher and the, the student have kind of worked this out, they processed it, they can both go back into the classroom and the administrator and the guidance counselor can leave and really nothing's changed, you know, like, other than everybody got a chance to work it through, but the stuff still got taught and the, the work, the, the problem got solved, but more importantly, the relationship between the teacher and the student got that much stronger. And that's the exciting part, too, you know. It's a win-win for everybody. Well, I certainly, you know, collaborative problem solving is a win-win proposition. Um, when we're doing power struggles, it's win-lose. Yeah. Um, and who's the loser? The student most of the time, because um, well, it's the it's the administrators who have suspension, detention, and expulsion at their disposal, who have the really big guns um, available to them. But um, yeah, it's kind of cool to think that win-win could have the stuff getting taught, <laughs> have people solving problems be improving relationships between student and teacher. Um, boy, what a nice combination that is. Yeah. We 
I'm sorry to report, have come to the end of our program today, but I want to tell you how much fun it's been having you both on. We will, of course, not have the luxury of it being just the three of us the next time. We're going to have uh, five of us next time. We'll but, have to um, share. What's that? <laughs> we'll, have we'll have to, to share more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have a principal and a teacher joining us next time as well, but I want to thank you both for uh, putting the time in today. Um, I know that this is uh, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, – an easy time of day to spend 45 minutes with me and uh, helping other people get uh, prepped for collaborative problem solving and learn what it's about. But thank you very much for doing this, and I can't wait until we do this again the next time. Great. Well, see you next oh. month, you guys. Yes, thank hope you very much. I hope it's been fun for you both, too. Oh, it was great. Good. Take care, all. <laughs> you, too. So that's uh, that's going to do it for us today. Um, once again, thanks to Basel and Kate for uh joining in. Have a few other folks join us the first Monday of December and every first Monday of the month for the rest of the school year. Hope it's been helpful for those of you who either listened in live or listened to the archive. That's the purpose of this program. That's the purpose of Life in the Balance. Talk to you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.